0: let's open up our Bibles to uh, Luke chapter 4, verse 14. <laughs> Luke chapter 4, verse 14 is kind of where we're going to be. And we just finished up verses 1 through 13 Um where we were going over the temptations of Christ, and we kind of slowed down there. If you missed any of those, I would encourage you to go back over those messages online. At uh, You can go to ccfww.org, and it'll get you there. And uh, I encourage you to get last week's message. It felt like the Lord really spoke to us there and encouraged us um, during that time. It said in, in verse 1 of Luke chapter 4, Verses 1 and 2, it says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. Um, now, after that 40-day period of being tempted by the devil, it says in verse 14, where we are today, Jesus returned to Galilee in the, what? In the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread throughout the whole countryside. And so Luke, it seems, is emphasizing that Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit, he was led by the Holy Spirit, and he was empowered by the Holy Spirit, and now Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. And this is really a picture of the Christian life, the life we're to have, a life of being full of the Spirit, being led by the Spirit, and being empowered by the Holy Spirit, for the work that God has called us to do, amen? That's what he's called us to do. And you think about our old lives, we were void of the Spirit, we were led by our flesh, and we were uh, empowered, basically, uh, to go do evil things and to follow after destructive paths, all that would not glorify God before the Lord came and saved us. And so now Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit, What does that look like? You know, it's amazing how um, if you go to different churches and different denominations, you ask, well, what does being filled with the Holy Spirit mean and look like? It's amazing how many different types of spectrums you'll get. And even within this valley, you'll get some very interesting teachings on what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I was checking out, um, you know, we sing some songs by... um, people who make music from Bethel music. Well, if you kind of go into Bethel's theology there in in Redding, California, it is wacky and weird. You know, And, and, and I think the enemy uses the music as a gateway to get into their theology. So I don't know what we do with that. John and I were discussing that this week. But nevertheless, you have a very interesting discussion about what it means to be full of the Holy Spirit. And there's teachings that are downright heretical about the manifestation, I think demonic, about what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And so you would assume that when Jesus says He was full of the Holy Spirit by some of these teachings that are out there, that He was prone to fits of uncontrollable laughter and speaking in tongues out of control and slaying people in the Spirit and all this weird out-of-control stuff, which I believe is demonic. An abuse of what the scriptures say. But that has nothing to do with being filled with the Spirit. Not that tongues isn't for today, but Paul talks about that in 1 Corinthians 12 and 14. But definitely, there's always that self control that is over that. Now, just briefly, two sections of scripture, not that I want to spend a whole lot of time in this, but on a vast subject that shows us a little bit uh, about who the Holy Spirit is, what His personality is. And when we're full of Him, we should reflect Him, right? His personality, who the Holy Spirit is. And if you really quickly flip over to Isaiah 11, just uh, go ahead and and do that real quickly. Left. Hit Psalms, you went too far. Yeah, pretty much in the middle. Get to Isaiah 11, in verse 1 through, 11, uh, one through. let's see here, where am I going? I'll just read. It says, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. Now you're going, what in the world is that? That's David's dad, basically. A, a shoot will come up, a descendant will come up from the line of Jesse, the line of David. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest upon him. This is speaking of the Messiah. The spirit of the Lord will rest upon him. And here it is. The spirit of what? Wisdom and of understanding. The spirit of counsel and of might. And the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. And so you have that sevenfold manifestation of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's nature is that of wisdom and understanding and counsel and might, power, boldness, right? Uh, Knowledge and fear of the Lord. Reverent fear, worship of the Lord. And a delight in the fear of the Lord. The second area, flip over to Galatians chapter five, twenty-two. Again, I'm not going to go in depth on that this morning. That's all the way right. Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Galatians is where we're going. Galatians chapter 5. <clears throat> Before verse 22, it describes our flesh. We're pretty familiar with those verses. We, we lived them out most of our lives. Now, this is speaking of the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5.22, it says, but the fruit of the Spirit is what? Joy, I'm sorry, love, joy, peace, forbearance, or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And so we see here that love, joy, and all these fruits of the Holy Spirit are manifestations of, of someone being ho- full of the Holy Spirit. And so when a person is full of the Holy Spirit, they sh- they're going to manifest God's wisdom, His understanding, His counsel. They're going to be bold, His might, right? Right? They're going to have knowledge, of the, uh, they're, going to acknowledge, they're going to fear the Lord, they're going to delight in the fear of the Lord, they're going to love, they're going to have joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's the manifestation of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. Amen? More of that. Amen? I need more of that in my life. Amen? Boy, Matt is... You know, when I look at these things and go, whew, there's a lot of mat in the way. I'm filled with mat. Oh, God, empty me. You know, that should be our prayer, amen? And that's Christine's prayer for me, right? (laughs) She hates when I do that. I love it. Self-control, sorry. But that's what it looks like to be filled with the Spirit. And so when you run into these circumstances where people are out of control and they are not operating in love, what they do and what they say is is considering others, not that we don't speak the truth, because that is considering others, amen? When you run into those circumstances, be careful, watch out. Does that match up with what we see in Scripture? And see, Jesus was all these things. And that's who he looked to. When you look at him, that, this is who he was and how he acted. It was the fruit in his life. That's who he was. And it's so much so that later on, the, the scriptures get really kind of, they interchange the, the Holy Spirit and the Spirit of Christ because they're one. And so the Spirit of Christ in you, the hope of glory. You're sealed with the Holy Spirit. You're sealed with the Spirit of Christ. I love that. That's what God desires to fashion in us. And so a person full of the Holy Spirit will be led by the Spirit, like Jesus here, directed and guided. And God desires to fill the man or woman of God so that they would be directed to bring him glory by being a witness of the Son of God. When a person is filled with the Holy Spirit, when the manifestation of the Spirit happens in a person, they are now led by the Spirit. They're in tuned with the Spirit. They're keeping in touch with the Spirit, Galatians teaches. And they're being led by the Holy Spirit into ministry. Amen? And ministry isn't just playing your guitar and preaching a message. It's living life for Jesus. That's who you are. You are ministers of the new covenant. You know that? You're ordained. God put His Spirit upon you. He filled you. The same Spirit that's in me is in you. And He's called you to go be witnesses in the world and to spread His gospel. Amen? Now, you might have different giftings within that, but you are called by the Lord to go as He leads you. Where is He leading you this week? Where is He calling you? Where is He navigating your life as you are filled with Him? We're going to be led to be witnesses. And this manifestation, this is manifested, being led and filled with the Spirit in our love for one another, and by actually opening our mouths to declare Him, uh, to declare what is true within us, that Jesus is Lord and has the power to save all who will repent and call upon His name in faith. And for this, we need to be empowered. How many of you are like, yes, I want to live for Jesus, but talking about Jesus, oh my gosh, don't make me do that. And we need to be empowered. Notice it says Jesus was filled and He was led, but He was also what? Empowered by the Holy Spirit. And that's why Luke's focus is now on ministry. You need to be empowered to go do what God has called you to do. That's what God desires. And I believe this is why the disciples were told in Acts 1, verses 4 through 5, Jesus commanded His disciples, I'm reading, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait For the gift my Father has promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So God was calling his disciples to serve him, but it couldn't be accomplished until they were filled. They're empowered, right? And this was the birth of the church, obviously, and this was a special event here we see. Jesus clarifies this in a few verses later in in Acts 1.8, where he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Isn't that awesome? How many of you feel like, I am not a witness for Christ? And you're just like, oh, you're just getting beat up left. Let me tell you, God not only died to save you and to fill you with Him, but He wants to overflow and change you from the inside out and to take you into situations to where you could never, ever do it in the power of your own strength. You see, that there's a guy named Peter in the middle of this, and we keep kind of coming back to Peter. Peter had great aspirations. I love God. I want to do great things for God. Amen? How many of you have a heart for the Lord? But then there's this Stupid person called you in there. <laughs> Anyone else? <laughs> it wasn't for me, everything would be wonderful. <laughs> Marriage Counseling 101, right? <laughs> it's me. Um But I start going forward in these things and, and 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 I want to do great things for the Lord, but I end up trying to do it with my power and my might and my strength and my flesh and my ability to do things and, and boy, it can just it, you just you end up cutting people's ears off like Peter did with Malchus. You end up denying him. You end up just backing away and then you end up just saying, forget this, I'm going fishing. Anyone? And you just say, okay, God, you want to come and get me? Oh, this is where I'll be. I'm going to be moping by myself. And guess what Jesus does? He comes and gets you. Doesn't he? He loves you. He keeps keeps hunting you down. He's a fierce love for you. He seeks you out over and over and over and over. And I love the restoration of Peter, you know. Um, but we see that Jesus told Peter and the gang to, to wait. Men and women in that upper room, you wait. And the Holy Spirit fell upon, I'm mean, just, just pointing out Peter right now. It fell upon Peter. And Peter stood up in front of the same people that he denied Christ from, and he preached. And what happened? 3,000 people gave their lives to the Lord that day. More later on. What was the difference between Peter 1.0 and 2.0? Holy Spirit. He was empowered. I love that. You see, the church is to be a people marked by the fullness leading and empowering of the Holy Spirit upon their lives. And it isn't going to be weird. It's going to look like Jesus. You're going to have wisdom of God in your life. You're going to have the knowledge of, of God. You're going to have the, the boldness. You're going to have the love to go with it and the joy and the patience and all these things mixed together. You're going to be filled with Him. And when we don't have the Holy Spirit, we, can, we, we want what God wants, but we try to manufacture the work of the spirit in our own flesh, and we cut off people's ears. We're zealous. Anybody else done that? I've done it. I'm sorry. You know I apologize. I know I've done that. I want what God wants, and, and I, can, I can go ahead of him and I can step in front of him and, and try to make things happen. And when I try to make things happen, I've got to prop that up. And so we can do it in the church. We can substitute a true move of the Holy Spirit with emotionalism. You can get people all crying and excited and all that stuff by putting the lights right and mood, mood, mooding people. And that is not, I don't think there's anything intrinsically wrong with turning off the lights and worshiping. That's not, that's not the point. But when I'm trying to simulate the Spirit with things of the flesh, it, what happens? It's based upon emotion instead of what He says. Now, God's given us emotions. He's given us our minds and our intellect. Amen? Amen. I like those things, don't you? I like to feel good. I like to cry sometimes and be happy and all those types of things. I love to think. I'm a thinker. You know? But I think we're all longing for the Holy Spirit to fill us and to use us. I don't want what God is going to do here to be based upon. Look what they did. This is how they did it, and this is the book, and I'm going to make money off that. I want it to be, man, God is at work. He's he's just—he's manifested in those people. Why? Because he's gracious. Because he's good. Because that's who he is. He hangs out with those broken people, and he loves through them. I see God in them. That's you. That's designed for the church. God filling broken vessels. The humble. And then the 3,000 are saved. Amen? So God's calling you to ministry that you're not going to be able to accomplish in your own strength. Do you know that? He's calling to ministries that you might not necessarily step into if it were up to you. And the motivation is going to be that you are filled with the Holy Spirit and you're led by the Holy Spirit and you find yourself in a situation to where it's like, how can I not, Lord? How can I not serve you in this? How can I not step out? How can I not? Amen? And you know that when you step into it, you're going to get hit. You know people aren't going to like it. You know you're going to rock waves, but the love and the obedience to Jesus Christ, that worship just overflows through your life. You know what he says is good. So God's calling us. He's calling us as a church to that. And so real quickly, how do we receive that empowering of the Holy Spirit? The church goes a lot of different ways on that. But first of all, you must be born again. You're spiritually dead if you haven't been born again. Your default as a human being is that you are dead. Ephesians chapter 2 says that. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. Amen? But you have been made a, alive in Christ. You know? I just I love it that God makes dead people live. Amen? Not bad people good. He makes dead people live. So you got to be born again. And that means you're born by His Spirit. You're a new creation. And He saves you. He forgives you. Amen? So you have, if you haven't done that, you're you're going to try to manifest something that you can't do. You've got to be born again. Surrender your life to Jesus Christ. Now, once you've been born again, the Holy Spirit is in you. That means He's teaching you. He's changing you. He's speaking to you. Amen? I love that. He's leading you to follow in the footsteps of Christ, abandoning self, resisting temptation. You have a sensitivity now towards sin. You have a sensitivity now towards the leading of the Spirit in your life. And the degree that I believe that we respond to that spirit is the degree that we grow. But when we resist that, we don't. The more of Matt that's in the way, the more God can't. just kind of goes, all right. Not always, but that's what I see. It means He's teaching you now that He's in you. He's changing you. He's leading you. He's leading you to follow in the footsteps of Christ, abandoning, abandoning yourself, you know, laying down your, Christ, uh, your cross and following Him da- daily. He's teaching you how to be in the Word and to hunger and thirst after righteousness. He's teaching you how to share your faith with people and all these types of things that look like Jesus. Amen? <clears throat> and so we're keeping in step with the Spirit is what it is. But Jesus said that we are to ask for the Holy Spirit, as we'll read later in Luke 11. Now, wait a second. If I'm born again, I thought I had the Spirit. Yes, we do. But I think there's an overflowing that the Spirit speaks about. It says, be being filled with the Holy Spirit. Do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. There's always some kind of counterfeit out there. And the Lord wants us to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And I believe it's equated with being in His Word and His Word abiding in us and the fruit flowing forward in our lives. If you you parallel the Ephesians verse and the Colossians verse that talk about being filled with the Holy Spirit, they, they, they talk about the Word of God dwelling richly within us to where there's fruit that comes out of our lives. This kind of fruit being filled with the Holy Spirit, that empowering that happens. But we're to ask, seek, and knock. And it says, you know, you, the Holy Spirit will be given to you by the Father. He'll pour it out on you. He'll fill you up, He'll overflow you. And see, the thing is, is, as I ask God for more of Him, I'm at the, in the same breath, I'm asking for less of me. Amen. Less of me and more of Him. And He answers those prayers. And we would hunger and thirst for righteousness. And realize that when God fills you, he is leading you to serve him in ways that are too big for you that will require that empowering. And I remember a short time after I came to the Lord, um, came back to the Lord uh, 21 years ago, um, that he led me to lead worship at a church of around 200 people. And I was 20, I was not a skilled musician, all these types of things, I could play guitar, but I was up there half the time because it was a big band and I could like not, I could act like I was playing air guitar, I'm like, what is a D sus? I have no idea what I'm doing here, I just know like power chords, rock chords, right? And and so I'm just, un- you know, unqualified in, in many ways, but God was, you see, I was breaking, God, God had broken me over my sin, I was responding to the Holy Spirit. I was just saying, I don't want that old life anymore. I need you. And so every time the door was open to the church, I was there. Every Bible study, I was there. I was just filling my mind and my heart with the Word of God. And He was changing me from the inside out. And I remember the worship leader at that church left. And they all gathered around, and, this, and I'd only been into, this, into the church, you know, for maybe a year or whatever it might have been. And, and they just started asking, hey, um, the pastor brought everybody together and said, we, we want to pray for whoever the new worship leader is going to be, right? <clears throat> and I remember being in that circle and kind of just, you know, you know how we do in prayer. Yeah, Lord, help us. I'm just kind of, <laughs> you know, sometimes focused, sometimes not. And then after we're done, the, the piano player Vicky, she leans over to me and she says, You're going to be the next praise and worship leader. I remember she said it like that. And I just remember thinking, No, I'm not. It wasn't even on my radar. I was working in a bowling alley, you know, running down, cleaning up beers and all that stuff, and just got to, this been changing me. I didn't even think about it. I'm like, there's no way. These people are twice as old as me. They're all good at what they do. There's just no. and I just immediately eliminated any possibility of God using me. You ever been there? God tells you to do something, and he brings you in front of the Red Sea, and you're just like, no. You start back into the desert. He's like, ah, oh, you want to see what I can do in and through you? <laughs> you know what I can do? You just empty yourself and let me fill you. And so the Lord, through a process, brought me to lead worship. And for the next five years, God did amazing things. He grew me even more, met my bride. Went around the world, led worship in front of thousands of people and all that stuff. And I could talk about, boast about all those things. But it wasn't me. It was the Lord in me. And that was back when I, was, I could sing and play. So it was awesome back. I'm trying to make you picture that. Now I was broken. My qualifications were I was empty. And God just picked this kid up and said, you. Because guess what? They're going to know it's not you. They're going to know it's me in and through you. And that's what happened. And that's what God wants to do through you. As you surrender your life to him, as you continue to say, empty me, Lord, empower me. So if you desire to be empowered by the Holy Spirit, I would say that God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble and there can even be pride in saying no you can't do that through me to humble yourself and say god whatever whenever however i'm yours and to turn from and confess and turn from your sin you know that's a, that blocks the lord you got ongoing sin in your life man just confess it to him and know that he forgives you and cleanses you from all unrighteousness amen turn from that that's a killer and we know how many times we have to do that, maybe a day, maybe a minute, every five minutes. But let it be a lifestyle of confession and humility and turning and repentance. And ask to be filled and let empower. And so, the Lord, put, put your, fill your mind with the Word. Start, start cutting out all the other stuff in life. Fast from TV. Fast from, um, you know, talk radio and all this stuff that gets us, right? That kind of crowds in and just spend a season. I'm not talking that is righteousness. That is not righteousness. You just want to open up the channels for the Lord, amen? I'm not throwing legalism on you. Saying, just say, God have all of me and let him speak. And I find that as I cut out those things in my life and I start replacing them with the word of God and and being around people and sacrificing things, he just starts to fill and empower and direct, and, and there's just this life that flows. And my, my mind is now focused on others and not myself and my circumstances, and healing comes through that. It's amazing. But God did a great work in and through my life. And he is continuing to do that, but it didn't come through all my skills and all that stuff. It came through brokenness and humility. And when pride crept back in, the power went down, the anointing, so to speak, I don't even know if I want to use that word, went down. And so you can really tell the difference when God is working through someone who's broken and that's something we should be praying for. We're supposed to be marked by love and humility and being empowered by the Spirit to boldly minister in His name. Amen. We're to be just like Jesus who is filled, led and empowered for the work of the ministry. May it be so with us. May when they say, "Speak of Christ community fellowship, it isn't about ah oh, that's our rock and worship team or this or that, it's just man. They love Jesus and he is in them, and through them. And so Luke focuses on the ministry of Jesus, being empowered by the Spirit. Now, if you didn't know, there's a time gap. This is where he helped you this week and all your life. But there's a time gap between verse 13 and 14 of about a year. John teaches on that in chapters 1 through 4. He teaches about that time gap of that first year of Jesus' ministry. Luke immediately goes from the baptism, skips a year, goes into his ministry in the area of Galilee. The area of Galilee is in the northern area of Israel. Josephus, the historian, tells us that at the time there were around 3 million people in the area, 250 towns, and so there was a lot of ministry in the area. Verse 15 tells us about what Jesus is doing in Galilee. Verse 15 says he was what? Teaching. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. Jesus was a teacher. He taught in a synagogue. Synagogue was the Jewish equivalent of a church. Church came out of synagogue. That's our roots. It's not to be mixed up with the temple. The temple was in Jerusalem. That's where they did the sacrifices and the feasts and the priests were. Jerusalem was like kind of like satellite campuses where they would teach the Word of God every day, especially Saturday, right, their Sabbath. But that's where the kids would go to school too and be taught. And verse 16 says, And he went to Nazareth where he had been brought up. He went to his hometown. He was from the north. Inhabited by a lot of Gentiles, by the way, because of the old wars and things where people mixed. Um, There's a lot there. We'll get to it later. But on the Sabbath day, Saturday, he went into the synagogue as was his custom, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet of Isaiah was handed to him, and unrolling it, he found the place where it is written. Verse 18, the Spirit of the Lord is on me. Because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoner and recovery of sight for the blind and to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. He stood up for the reading of the word of God and sat down to cheat, to teach. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Wow. And all spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Jesus was the guest speaker in his hometown and the way the service would go, they'd sing some psalms, they'd read some things out of scripture. There'd be some back and forth, and then basically came the the, the same the, the message, the main message. Jesus was the main speaker, and so he was the guest rabbi that day. And so Jesus reads from Isaiah 61, which is verses 18 and 19 for us here in Luke, and Jesus is reading these verses that everyone in that room probably knew that was messianic in nature. They knew when they were reading that 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 was pointing to, G- to the Messiah, whoever that would be, the prophet, right? And Jesus sets and says, this is fulfilled in your hearing. He basically just says, I am the Messiah to them, almost straight out. Notice, Jesus says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. And He has what? Anointed, empowered me that called and empowered Him to do what? To, yeah, to proclaim the good news. To who? To the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. These were the types of people Jesus was ministering to thus far, and you can read about those in John's account. What about this is getting around that Jesus is going to the poor, the prisoners, the blind, the oppressed, to give them the good news and to proclaim freedom and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And what he's alluding alluding to there when it says the year of the Lord's favor is the year of jubilee. That would be every 50 years something miraculous would happen is that all debts were forgiven. Everybody's land was given back to them. How'd you like that? And the picture is Jesus has come to those who are poor, oppressed, blind, imprisoned, and said I've come to set you free this is the year of Jubilee isn't that awesome I love that this is fulfilled in your hearing verse 22 says and all spoke well of him mark that doesn't last the sermon wasn't over Jesus made the point that the Messiah would be filled led and empowered um, by the Holy Spirit to minister God's favor to the poor the captives the blind and the oppressed why these people why isn't Why isn't God talking about other people there? Why Why is God leaving people out? Why not the rich? Why not the free ones? The sight's of the the people have sight, and people who are unoppressed. Isn't God concerned with them? Of course, God is. Second Peter three nine tells us that He desires that none should perish, but all should come to repentance. It's not that God doesn't reach out to the rich and to the free and the people with sight and those unoppressed, but the fact of is that having all those things can dole us to the voice of God upon our lives. Those things cause us to choke out the word within our lives. And I find out that people who are truly, usually responsive in the, in the world uh, to the Lord have great need in their heart. They have great need in their lives. There's a deficit going on. There's some kind of impossible circumstance. They can't get out of it without God. It's not that God doesn't reach out to everyone. But to the rich in, in Laodicea, well, to, the, to the, the church in Laodicea, in Revelation chapter 3, he says, you say that I'm rich. I have acquired wealth, and I don't need a thing. But you do not realize, Jesus says, to the church that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. You're blinded by those things. You can't see it. Can't see through the riches. You can't see through your freedom. You can't see through, you know, being unoppressed. You can't see through those things. And something about suffering points us to God. How many of you are suffering this morning? And we try to go to the doctors and we try to do those things, but guess what? In our hearts, we ultimately get hopefully get directed to the Lord, who truly gives us hope. It's through humility that our hearts respond to God. And Jesus says in Matthew 5: Blessed are the what? Poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be filled. God has a heart for the helpless. He resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. I love 1 Corinthians 1, through 29. Church, this is you. Brothers and sisters, think of you when, you were, when God called you. Think of who you were. Not many of you were wise by human standards, not many of you influential, not many of noble birth, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are ours so that no one may boast before him. I glory in that. I'm so thankful that God said, yeah, you. It wasn't like that. He said, You. Amen? So if you're poor in spirit and you're broken and you're downhearted this morning, take heart. Your king is here. Amen? He loves you. Aren't you thankful it wasn't because of your degrees? You know, and all that. But it's because of of his grace. He sees our brokenness and he's drawn to it. He sees our need and he's drawn to it. That's his nature. He loves you. And I find that most people who are responsive to the good news recognize their great need for God. There's a poverty of soul. There's an imprisonment in their heart. There's an oppressed life. They need a Savior. And Jesus was sent to those people. Jesus is drawn to those people. Perhaps that's you. Amen? Are you poor? Are you imprisoned? Are you blind? Are you oppressed this morning? Jesus is calling. He's here for you. Psalm 107, one of my favorite psalms, verse 10. It says, some sat in darkness, uh, uh, in utter darkness, prisoners suffering in iron chains because they had rebelled against God's commands and despised the plans of the Most High. And so he subjected them to bitter labor. They stumbled and there was no one to help. And then they cried to the Lord in their trouble." And he saved them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness, the utter darkness, and broke away their chains. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. For he breaks down gates of bronze and cuts through bars of iron. That's your Jesus. That's my Jesus. Amen. And right after Jesus said this, verse 22, it says, everybody spoke well of him. And then they started to say, isn't this Joseph's son? Wait a second. It didn't last. They had unbelief, and Jesus knew it, and he started to call them on it. He didn't just roll with the good feelings. He started cutting deeper. He exposed what was truly going on. Jesus isn't concerned about people in the chairs. He's talking about the hearts and the souls in the chairs, amen? And what did he say? Let's, let's finish this up. 23. Jesus said to them, Surely you will quote this proverb to me, physician, heal yourself, and you will tell me, do uh, do here in your hometown what you have heard that you we've heard that you did in Capernaum. See, Jesus had already been ministering. Do, come on, show us a sign. Prove that you are who you really are. And that's unbelief. And then Jesus goes ahead and he starts to use an example that's really going to get at their heart. In verse 24, to really point out their unbelief and his unwillingness to do signs and miracles among them. The other gospels say that he only was able to heal a few people, if that is the same account. Don't worry about that right now. But Verse 24 says, Truly I tell you, he continued, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time, and when the sky was shut off for three and a half years, and there was a severe famine throughout the land, yet Elijah was not sent to any of them but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. He was sent to a Gentile. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elijah the prophet. Yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. And all the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They were mad. And they got up and drove him out of the town and took him to the brow of the hill. I've been there. On a cliff overlooking the valley of Jezreel. You can see Megiddo there, the Armageddon, the whole thing. He's just Jesus grew up where it's all going to begin and end. They got up and they drove him to throw him off the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff, yes. But he walked, verse 30, right through the crowd on his way. I'll show you a sign, boom. <laughs> but the reason they lost their marbles, the reason why they lost it and they wanted to kill him, is he said, because of your unbelief, I have to go somewhere else, and I'm going to go to the Gentiles ultimately. And They hated the Gentiles. The church... Is our unbelief keeping Jesus from doing what he wants to do in our church, in our life, in and through us, in our homes? When he starts pushing that hot button in your your life, when he starts saying that, Are you going to be like the Jews who didn't believe and demanded that he show all these things instead of simply saying, I trust you? Or is he going to have to go outside and work somewhere else? You know, that's what happens in churches. They start out as moves of God and they stop trusting the Lord. They becomes unbelief, becomes a system. And then the Lord just has to go somewhere else and start working somewhere else. Not that he doesn't love us, he has to go outside. I don't want that. I want him to walk in and say, this is yours, Lord Jesus. How, how, what do you want to do? Every, every room is open. Every heart is open. However you want to move in and through us, lead us. Let us trust. Closing, I have one minute left. Amen. To the angel in the church of Laodicea, we already read this, but I'm going to read the whole thing. These words of the amen, this is Revelation chapter 3, but verse 14. This is the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation, that's Jesus. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. And so because you are lukewarm, neither hot or cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say... I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched and poor and pitiful, blind, naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, so you can become rich and white clothes to wear, and so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes, so you can see. To those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. Did you hear that? To those whom he loves, he rebukes and disciplines. And so be earnest and repent. And here I am. I stand at the door and knock. Who's he talking to? The church. And where is he? He's outside the door. He says, here I stand. I know we use this for salvation, and and it's a beautiful verse, you know, and there's a truth to that, but what is he saying in this verse? He's saying, church, I'm on the outside, and I'm knocking. And I stand at that door, and I'm knocking. And if anyone, if any of you in there hear my voice and opens the door, I'm going to come in, I'm going to eat with that person, and they with me. We're going to have fellowship together. And to the one who is victorious, the one who opens the door and lets Christ really rule, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. Lord God, we come before you and we are your church. And, um, we just we just ask, Lord, that you would please help us. That there would be um, no area in our lives, Lord, that would be ruled by us. But we have the fullness of the Spirit in our hearts and our lives. Forgive us and cleanse us and fill us and use us. There are people who need you all around us. Show us to live. How to live for you and to die for you daily, to lay down our lives for you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.